How do you handle trials? I enjoy reading Thomas Clancy. His thrills, thrillers are woven. But you have to get about 100, 125 pages into his book before the themes or the threads start to interlock and begin to make some bit of sense. I know an author who is the original thread weaver. And the more you study and read, the more the themes and threads come together. Like Carolyn was teaching this morning in her Sunday school class, talking about the themes of the New Testament weaving into the Old Testament and prophecy and things that Jesus said in the temple weaving into the Old Temple. And we're going to spend some time looking today on some themes. And today's person had fear, sorrow, and prayer. When we start reading the Bible in Genesis, we find mankind in the garden with God. And the Bible ends back in the garden with God. So and today we're going to look at a third garden scene. Matthew 26, 36 through 46. All of today's scripture and next week's scripture, because this is a two-part series, is from the New American Standard 1995 version. It's taken from Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Then Jesus came to them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. So he said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you will not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away until I drink it, Your will be done. Again he came and he found them sleeping, and their eyes were heavy. And he left them again, and he went away, and he prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of the sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. When we're looking at different passages of Scripture in the Gospel, which are written from four different authors, from four different points of view, to four different audiences, we notice that some accounts are recorded once, some are twice, some are three times. And some are fourth. It's rare that we have four accounts. 
But this is one of those accounts where we see it four times. This passage, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John. John just glances over it with one verse. But he does bring it up. Jesus had just celebrated the Passover with the disciples here. And the Passover, and he had given us the Last Supper, or communion. The Passover is where the Israelites had been in bondage in Egypt, wanted to be freed, begged God to be freed, so God sent Moses and the plagues. And that last plague was that the firstborn would be killed, and thus there was blood over the doorway. This blood... They needed to slaughter a perfect lamb or some other perfect animal and put the blood over the doorstep or the firstborn of that household would die. Does anybody see a theme here developing? At the Passover feast held yearly, they had to gather in Jerusalem. And Jesus introduces that new covenant of communion. The breaking of bread and and shed of blood. And the blood is taken from a cup. This in remembrance of the forecoming slaughter of our perfect lamb. Luke 22, 39-46 tells us Jesus and his disciples proceeded to this Mount of Olives. Because it's where Jesus normally went to pray. It was his war room. If you take a part of that movie from the war room, that there's a certain place where you go and you find God to, in your silence to pray. And that was this. Gethsemane is a grove of olive trees on the western side of the Mount of Olives. It's tiered up with rocks and fences, and then the next level is another level of olive trees, and then the next level going all the way up. He had a certain spot that he went to, and mind you, it's dark out, so he could have at any point gone away and nobody would have seen him leave. So he leaves the disciples at one spot except for three. He brings them. Peter, James, and John. And this is taken from the Old Testament. Delight to draw near to God. This is a sacred spot where Jesus went to be with his father. And Judas would have known this to be able to find Jesus in the dark. Jesus knows what's coming. And he has just told Peter at the Last Supper that Peter is going to deny him three times. And Peter says, no, 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 no. I would die for you. And Jesus says, no, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Peter, in his arrogance, tells Jesus, nope, that he knows more than Jesus, and he would never 
deny Christ. Jesus still takes him in that inner circle to pray. Jesus is great, greatly grieved and distressed. We see his raw emotions here. We see him struggling with those emotions and the awfulness of the upcoming event. With that much pain, he asks them as friends, sit here and pray for me while I go. So all I want, just pray for me. So he goes to pray by himself. You know, in the Bible, we've seen where other people have struggled through emotional issues. Jacob wrestled with God or an angel. Nehemiah, when he struggled through his emotions of hearing of the fallen walls of Jerusalem, wept, mourned, fasted, and prayed. Jesus is going to struggle through his emotions to get ready to prepare for the upcoming event and asking for spiritual alertness. Yes, Jesus is the perfect lamb and his blood will become the sacrifice for our sinful nature. He also knows that he's going to take the weight of the sin on the world and be abandoned by God. Some people say that we create our own hell on earth when we are separated from God as a result of our sin. Except Jesus has never known separation from God. So he's asking the three to pray and he goes. Let's look at his first prayer. He starts with, if we, if we use the prayer from Mark, he uses the word Abba. The other three, the other two of them say Father. But it's Abba Father. He, he asks God in this. <clears throat> My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He humbly approaches God. One of the other passages say, I know you can take this from me. So there's a faith in knowing that he can take this away. He's asking God to take this. And yet he steps right into yet not as I will, but as you will. He steps right into that submission. And obedience. 
this the word this cup in the Old Testament is um, cup is a reference to a person's lot in life. Psalm seventy-five eight, Isaiah fifty-one seventeen, Jeremiah forty-nine twelve, Ezekiel twenty-three thirty-one through thirty-four. It's interesting also that when we do communion, we refer to it as a cup of communion. So he is going from the lot in life, which is he is to be our sacrificial lamb and his purpose, to giving us a sense of hope with communion. My cup, this blood, my blood shed for you. He knows he's going to deal with separation and isolation from God. Aloneness and isolation. He knows he's going to be abandoned and denied by his friends. He knows he's going to be beaten and hung on a cross. On a garbage heap. And he's going to be forsaken by his father. Knowing this, he still says, your will. And he goes back and he finds his disciples sleeping. That had to break his heart. And he simply says, could you not stay awake? But now he shifts his request from his needs to a teaching mode. Watch and learn how to handle trials and temptations. James says, count it all joy when going through this because it grows our faith. Jesus is telling us to watch how to handle it. I refer to this time as growth points. We learn readiness, spiritual alertness, a readiness for what is coming. Jesus keeps his focus on God and not his problem. He shifts from, if you can take this, to your will. He begins that with Abba Father. So he goes back to praying with his father. He's connecting with his spiritual nature. Our inner being needs to be responsive to God. We see submission in him. We see a transition from taking this cup from me to your will. And give me strength for what is coming. Because he taps into the power of the Holy Spirit. Overall, he goes back three times and they are sleeping. I'm not sure what the theme here is, but there's that theme of three. He even tells them the second time 
The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We're not going to do this walk of faith on our own. Our flesh is weak. They failed. We fail. But the story does not end there. Our inner life concerns the will. Our flesh, lack of moral stanima, our human nature, sinful human nature. We are self-absorbed. And there's an aspect of us that gives up way too easily. But he tells us to watch, to gain strength for the temptations ahead. Peter fails miserably here. And we'll end up denying Christ three times. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we see these men transformed. Which is next week's sermon. And I want to go down a rabbit trail here before getting back to the garden. In John 18, 4 through 8, when they have come to get Jesus, he says to them, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And his response here is, I am he. This response and that terminology in the original text is only used three times in the entire Bible. The first time, and I can't say Hebrew, E-H-Y-E-H, is I am. It's the Hebrew word used by God when Moses has come to him and said, who should I say is sending me to the people? And he really wants a big, long explanation so he can explain it. And all God says is, I am that I am. I'm going to butcher this. Ewa, Aser, Ewa. So these people come and say, he says, who are you seeking? He says, I am. That's the second time it's used. It's used a third time um, a short period later by, again, Jesus. But that second time, these people who came to get, get him fall down. That should have been a hint there, folks. You know, this is truly God. Yes, he's in human form. He could have called down angels. He could have gone down the back door of that garden, in essence, and not been seen. And he chose not to. Because he submitted and said, 
not my will, but yours. Because I know you have a plan, and I'm going to submit to it. Had Jesus not been obedient in Gethsemane, the plan of salvation would have been lost. One wonders how much is lost when we refuse to obey and deny ourselves and pursue our own wills rather than the will of God. So we open in the garden with Adam and Eve walking and talking with God. We finish in the garden with God living amongst us. Here we have Jesus trying to teach us how to deal with trials and temptations in the garden. Priscilla Shriver said last year at her conference that we have three seasons in our lives and that we continue to cycle through those three. Pre-Gethsemane, in-Gethsemane, and post-Gethsemane which means we're getting ready for life's trials, we're in the middle of life's trials, and we're post-life's trials. And then we go right back through. We all face difficult times. It's how we respond that matters. Do we go down trust trail or pride pathway like Peter did? The Israelites in the wilderness, they asked to be brought out of bondage, but their theme was trusting in their own understanding. I want to be comfortable. I want it my way. I don't want to learn dependence. And I don't want to live outside my comfort zone. Notice it's all about me or I, or us. And when that's the case, we have no foundation except our own selves. So when problems arise, there's no foundation to sustain me. In case you haven't noticed, there's only one thing we can control, and that's ourselves. And our reaction to life's events. So I can choose to live in bondage and sin, i.e. Egypt. I can choose to accept Christ as my Savior, but not my Lord. I still rule my life, and I can wander in the wilderness. Or I can live a surrendered life, obedient, living by faith, Trusting that God knows best. Jesus said to his father, I know you can do this, but even if you don't, I still believe in you and know you are my hope. Even though he knows what's going to happen, the basis of his existence is, it is well with my soul. He could have walked away from this whole thing, but he chose not to. Chose to surrender to God's will. His actions followed his words, your will. 
But to do that, I need to spend time in God's Word. I need to spend time in prayer with Him. I need to spend more time listening than speaking. I need an attitude of praise, humility, surrender and submission, seeking after Him, making my relationship with Him my number one priority. Knowing that this is a journey that I'm going to fail, that I need to confess and repent of my failing to God. And repentance means that I'm going to turn away from the direction I was going and turn back to God. But the big thing is knowing that my identity is found in being a beloved child of God. And regardless of what I do, as long as I've accepted Christ, I am a beloved child of God. That is my foundation. And this whole book is about God trying to restore us to that relationship. And through the entire Old Testament, it doesn't work. So he sends Jesus to restore us to our relationship. As we read the Gospels, Jesus was in the midst of ministry, miracles and such, but he always was getting away to reconnect and spend time with his Father in prayer. Martin Luther is quoted as being so busy with so many important tasks that he needed to spend three hours in prayer to prepare. God tells us to be still and to know that I am God. Will you watch and learn and imitate our Savior in how to deal with Gethsemanes in our lives? Are you on pride pathway or trust trail? I want you to ask God, what is the foundation of your relationship with Him? Is it about me? Or is it about God? And do I take the time to come to the garden to seek you?